0: Coming up on this week's Stat Pack, we make an all-out assault on the Tony Romo haters. Also, we discuss if Matt Schaub should be benched. And of course, a look ahead to week six as we break down the power rankings, the intelligence index, and of course, our six-pack of top games. All that and more on this week's Stat Pack.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of Stat Pack providing you with a six-pack of subjects featuring the cold, hard football facts and the stats that truly matter. Here's your host, Adam Dubrowalski.
0: Hey there, Pigskins fans, and welcome to the week six edition of Stat Pack. I'm your host, Adam Dubrowalski, and we have a fantastic show for you. Hopefully, a memorable show because guess what? We're breaking out the real American. We're getting that leg ready. We're about to give a leg drop to the industry. All of those in the sports media ready to line up and take down Tony Romo because of one interception in an otherwise perfect offensive game for the Dallas Cowboys against the Denver Broncos. We back you, Tony Romo, here on StatPak. We'll defend him even... On that interception, we'll look at that. We'll look at the cold hard football facts breaking down that Denver-Dallas game. And we'll also talk another Texas quarterback under heavy fire. That's, of course, Houston Texans quarterback Matt Schaub, a pick 24 over the last four weeks. My goodness. Things aren't going good for him, but does it really need to get to the level of talking about T.J. Yates? We take a look at that as quite unusual, on these editions of stat pack we usually like to go with the mathletics first but this time we're actually going with a look first at the intelligence index review because quite frankly some of the dumb plays made the biggest impacts on the league's top games from week 5 so let's start with the intelligence index
1: which teams were geniuses and which teams were dunces this past week find out with a review of this week's intelligence index
0: 25 completions on 36 attempts for 506 yards, five touchdowns and one interception. That was the line for Tony Romo as the Dallas Cowboys brought a historic Denver Broncos team to the brink of falling to 4 and 1. Yet America rushed to Twitter after Tony Romo made an interception inside of three minutes in the 51-48 loss for the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, the same things are being said. It's Tony being Tony. Vintage Tony Romo. Typical Tony. Once again, Tony Romo chokes the game away. Now, three of those four statements is true. One of those is, well, complete crap. And we here at Cold Hard Football Facts... Don't just like to give you the cold and honest truth via statistics, but we actually like to do what the mainstream media won't do, and that's provide actual critical analysis beyond the basic results. And we're going to do that right here on Pack. We're going to break down, for the first time this year, a play in itself. Let's go back to this interception by the Dallas Cowboys. The Broncos tied up after a one-yard touchdown run on a draw by Sean Marino. It's 51-51. There's inside of three minutes. Cowboys have the ball. First play of the drive, what happens? There's pressure, and Tony Romo has to fall to take a sack. This is, in fact, the Broncos' fourth sack of the game. Now, mind you, the Denver Broncos did not allow a sack for Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning... Was relatively unharmed in the game outside of throwing his first interception of the season. That only after, well, 20 passing touchdowns to start of his season and pretty much obliterate Milt Plum's record that was set back in 1960. So the Broncos are in great position where if this defensive line continues to do what it did in this drive, they get the ball back, Manning's going to drive down the field and get the game-winning field goal. I don't have much of a doubt about it because, well, the Broncos never punted in this game. The Cowboys couldn't stop the Broncos on third down. In fact, Denver was 9-of-13 on third down. And when we get to the big board in our next segment, we'll talk about how the Denver Broncos and Cowboys put together some historic, absolutely astonishing Offensive numbers together. There was no question in my mind. The Cowboys gave up the ball; they were going to lose. But anywho, second and sixteen. What happens on a Denver Broncos three-man rush? Well, wouldn't you know? The defensive line got push on the Cowboys' offensive line. In fact, so much push as you look as Tony Romo looks to drop back on his throw, he actually stumbles trying to make the throw because an offensive lineman's foot trips up Tony Romo. Add in the fact, if you break down the replay and you actually go to the film, that you'll see Travis Frederick is about to be moved past by a defensive lineman. So Tony Romo couldn't even sidestep and step up into the throw, because if he did that, he would have taken another sack. In reality, what happens is that Tony Romo, when he's getting ready to get rid of the ball, sees Gavin Escobar open. It's a classic staple play by the Dallas Cowboys, this tight end in. And it's a reason why Jason Witten has a franchise record for receptions and has been considered one of the top fantasy tight ends of all time. It's because Tony Romo targets Jason Witten a lot. And it does it on plays like this. Yes, You may say that there was quote-unquote triple coverage on Gavin Escobar, but it was quite simple. At the time of the throw, Danny Trevathan was not in front of Gavin Escobar, and the two defenders beyond Escobar would not have gotten there in time if Tony Romo was able to get that throw off. Bottom line is, you had Romo's throw slowed up because he couldn't get into the throw, and as it hung just a little bit, Trevathan made what was actually a fantastic play. A diving interception, by the way. And yes, believe it or not, defensive players can do good things. You might not believe it anymore given the statistics, especially in this game, but defenders can make great plays. What we have here is a failure of America's mainstream media to actually think critically. I want to actually get into this now, some of the responses that we had from mainstream media, and I will save the most ridiculous for last, but we'll start off with, let alone asking the questions for the Monday Monday morning quarterbacks out there on NFL Network and ESPN, whether it was Tony Romo's fault the Cowboys lost, we're talking about a man who led his team to score 48 points and put up a pass rating better than 140 For every pass attempt he had, if you take away the sacks, it led to 14 yards per pass play, taking away those sacks. How is Tony Romo to blame? This was a man who every time he got on the field was able to drive his team down and keep them in the game despite the Denver Broncos... Going at a historic rate down the field. Can you imagine how much pressure that is that every time you get on the field, you basically have to score? And one of the times he didn't score, it was a Des Bryant fumble. There were a few punts in there as well. But for the most part, what Tony Romo did was keep things up going against one of the fastest defenses in the league. You just look at the drive chart for the Dallas Cowboys. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, fumble, punt, field goal, kneel down, touchdown, 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 intercepted pass. Yeah, that's right. By the way, in the second half, outside of that interception, every Cowboys drive led to a touchdown. The Broncos go up 35-20 at the beginning of the half. Game should have been over from there because the Broncos were destroying teams in the second half. Remember the Eagles last week? It became 52-20 after a close game at the half. Remember week one against the Broncos, 49-27? Yeah, the Broncos led at the half. And how about 41-23 week two against the Giants? The Giants at one time got the game to 17-16. But what the Cowboys did, led by Tony Romo, was get four contestants consecutive touchdown passes. So how can you even remotely blame Tony Romo for the loss? Well, it's America's lack of intelligence. How about this? Deion Sanders saying this is Tony. Yes, Tony Romo, the same Tony Romo who led the Cowboys to five fourth quarter comebacks last year. He's always choking the game away, right? Wrong. Again, Five fourth-quarter comebacks by Tony Romo last year. Three of the failed fourth-quarter comebacks, you have, let's see, a missed field goal against Baltimore. Week five, Tony Romo puts his team in position. How about the near catch by Dez Bryant against the Giants? Week eight, he's just a fingertip away from the Cowboys delivering a comeback. From down 23-0, and then of course Week 16, Tony Romo last-minute comeback, 14 points to force the game into overtime, and the Saints get one of the luckiest bounces of all time. They fumble a ball and recover it inside the 10 to get the game-winning field goal. So Tony Romo quite possibly could have had eight fourth-quarter comebacks last year, which would have set. An NFL record in a single season. I can't hold all these comebacks if I'm Tony Romo. So yeah, Deion Sanders spreading the ignorance by saying this is Tony. Tony Romo has what? 11, maybe 12 turnovers in fourth quarter comeback situations in his career. Just another guy, by the way, Phillip Rivers, had two alone in the Sunday night loss at Oakland in the final five minutes and now has well over 25 for his career in such situations. Yet, by the way, people in the preseason were still picking Phillip Rivers over Tony Romo. Yeah, really smart. And then of course, how about Rodney Harrison claiming that Tony Romo has it in his head in the final two minutes not to make a mistake. Well, which by the way, most quarterbacks do, but Let's just say it's special for Tony here. How would a safety know what a quarterback is thinking? Does he talk to Tony Romo every day? Or could Rodney Harrison just be an ignorant idiot who thinks he knows what he's talking about and can pound his chest as an analyst on NBC and say he knows what he's talking about? Which, by the way, if we want to talk about all-time choke jobs, how about Rodney Harrison allowing the helmet catch to David Tyree in Super Bowl forty-two. Or failing to cover David Boss in one of the game-changing pass plays down the field earlier in that quarter against the Giants. If we want to talk about choke jobs, we can talk about Ronnie Harrison being one of the biggest reasons why the New York Giants had a fourth quarter comeback and made it 18-1 for the New England Patriots. So if I'm Ronnie Harrison, I would shut up. But of course. We go to the number one idiot of the day. And you know what? I might even have to bust out the music here to to get the the leg drop warming a little bit here. Ah, yes. Stephen A. Smith going on Twitter and actually mocking Tony Romo. And and, and this is his tweet here. And I, I kid you not. This is his tweet. Ha, ha. Tony Romo has over 400 yards passing and five touchdowns, which was over 500 yards, by the way, but waits until now to throw an interception. Aha! What type of quote-unquote journalist would openly mock a player on Twitter? Well, that, of course, would be Stephen A. Smith, who has been disgraced before, And will be disgraced again. I mean, this man should be ashamed of himself, but let's face it. I mean, I severely question what sort of self-respect he has when ESPN parades him around and just allows him to yell and make irrational arguments and trash players. He, by the way, later on would mock Matt Schaub. And, you know, I understand if you can be critical of players because, well, that's what analysts should do. But to claim you're a journalist and then openly mock and cheer for players on social media, last time I checked, that was a big no-no. That's not professional in journalism. When you go into a press booth, you're not allowed to cheer. And I know, certainly, you're not allowed to mock players. So, Stephen A. Smith, a lack of class, and of course, an idiot, because he would later say on Twitter, quote-unquote, as, well, this was actually... ESPN first take, quoting him, quote, the Dallas Cowboys have the talent to be Super Bowl champions. They won't even come close. Really? Is this the same Dallas Cowboys team that right now, if you were to actually look at their defensive passer rating, it resembles, well, one of the worst teams in the league. Talent? Really? Okay, so Bruce Carter and Mo Claiborne, who doesn't fit the cover too, that talent's really working to a passer rating of 105, Point seven two. Yet somehow, if you were to look at the Cowboys' pass rating differential, they're actually 10th in the league at 8.58. Eight. Why is that? Because, well, the Dallas Cowboys are actually 2nd ranked in offensive passer rating this season. So you can openly mock Tony Romo like an unprofessional idiot and a loser. Because, let's face it, you're not a quarterback, certainly not an NFL quarterback making comebacks left and right, you have no room to mock players, but you claim the Cowboys have the Super Bowl talent, and I don't see it statistically. The Cowboys have been statistically a run-of-the-mill team that has constantly failed Tony Romo. Stephen A. Smith, if you actually consulted the cold-hard football facts, you would know what the heck you're talking about. But, like most of the mainstream media, you lack critical thinking skills, and you wear the dunce cap. So... While we can give the dunce cap to Tony Romo if we wanted to for one mistake that wasn't even completely his fault because he was failed by his offensive line, yes, he could have checked down if he wanted to, but he didn't. And try to run a staple play. We want to give him the dunce cap for that. Let's give America a dunce cap for trashing Tony Romo because he put together one of the greatest games of all time and proved most of America wrong. Why mock a guy? who did as well as Tony Remo did. It's a sad sight in America. But that's not it. We have some other dunce caps to give around. Why not give a good old Hulk Hogan leg drop to the idiots who want TJ Yates in over Matt Schaub? Look, I get it. Matt Schaub's playing poor football right now. But there's some other reasons as to why the Houston Texans are playing such dumb football. And it goes kind of like this. Of Matt Schaub's nine interceptions it's led to seven touchdowns, one field goal and one punt. 52 points off of nine turnovers. Well, over 5 yards or 5 points, excuse me, per turnover. The average last year's close to the 3s in terms of points off of turnovers. The worst was usually close to 4, but we're at 5 now. For the Texans. We're also looking at a Texans red zone defense that is severely failing them right now. They're allowing a touchdown I believe in all but one. Or no two now. uh, After the 49ers got a late field goal after a Matt Schaub fumble I believe. But we're looking at a red zone defense that's allowed a touchdown in all but two drives in the red zone so far. And at 71.43. 71.43. They are 30th right now in red zone defense scoring percentage, touchdowns only. They are 30th. The only two teams that are worse, Dallas and Green Bay. Dallas, we already documented their defensive problems. Green Bay, well, they kind of got off the hook for having only allowed three points against the Detroit Lions this past Sunday. But bottom line, defense isn't helping. Bottom line... The head coach, Gary Kubiak, isn't helping because, again, here's where we go with the critical thinking here. Gary Kubiak doesn't allow his quarterback to make audibles. That rollout pick six by Richard Sherman two weeks ago, back in week four, Richard Sherman had that red all over the place. I mean, why would Richard Sherman be covering a tight end after all? Well, he knew exactly what was coming because it was a really predictable play and it was a broken play. If you don't allow Gary, Gary Kuback, if you don't allow your quarterback to make audibles, he's going to be limited and he's going to be average. And then when things go bad, it's going to implode. That's pretty much what's happened in the last two to three years with Matt Schaub, who, by the way, before 2011 was only saving the Texans' hide and keeping them in games left and right. But the defense was failing them back then and no one came to defend Matt Schaub. But look, why would we switch to TJ Yates when we have a dumb team that is in the bottom four of the intelligence index? Because TJ Yates, is gonna come in, what is he gonna do? It's just gonna slow down the offense. He's mentally not there in terms of the quickness. Might he not throw pick six every game? Okay, no. But he's just going to take sacks and take sack fumbles and still throw interceptions and punt the ball away. And if the defense can't make stops in the red zone and if they can't make stops after the offense makes turnovers, then what's going to happen? Really, what's going to happen? The Texans are going to continue to lose. I mean, aren't the Texans playing the Rams next week? Can't we give Matt Schaub one more chance? If he blows it, then maybe we can think about Yates because the season would be over. But going to Yates is waving the white flag. And if Gary Kubiak actually thinks TJ Yates is a better option than Matt Schaub, well, then he can wear a dunce cap like the rest of America. Complimentary dunce caps go out to Cam Newton and Ron Rivera Well, the Panthers, they were looking so good after defeating the Giants. They were number three in the Intelligence Index. And, well, they put up a bendability of 11.36 and a scoreability of 58.83 against the Cardinals. Cam Newton's QBR, 34, bottom five through five weeks. I don't know what to say about the Panthers, but at one and three, it looks like the same old, same old dumb Panthers, even when they start well. And then, of course, we got to give out little hidden dunce caps, The, the hidden goat the Seattle Seahawks special teams. Yes, they had a block punt. great job by Jermaine Kearse, but Jerron Johnson didn't need to run into that ball as fast as he did. He could have slowed it up, made sure he secured the ball without going over the end line in the end zone. It would have been seven points instead of two for the Seahawks. They would have been up 17-0 instead of 12-0. But the Seahawks got lazy and complacent. And then on field goal coverage, You allow the line to get so much push where you can block the Stephen Hauschka field goal, and then you can't even hustle to tackle the Colts as they return it for a touchdown. Stephen Hauschka was the only guy there. He actually cut off the angle, made the guy cut back, but no one was there to finish it off for the Seahawks. The Colts get easy points there, and they finish with a scoreability under 10, and that is the difference in a 34-28 loss for the Seahawks. I think that will eventually get better. Those are fixable things. You're just a little extra hustle, a little extra understanding of the game situation. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a learning chance here with these dunce caps for the Seattle Seahawks. After all, they're 4-1 and, and still one of the most intelligent teams in football. But the little things in these big game matter. So don't do that again, Seattle. I'm done now. Done with the dunce caps. I I just, I can't even imagine that I'm actually talking about a quarterback with a pass rating of 140 in a game and people are blaming him for a 51 48 loss. I, I, I just, I don't even get it anymore. Dunce caps to everyone if you think otherwise. If you want to blame Tony Romo, I have one fitting for you. Think about it. Think about it really hard. Don't follow unprofessional idiots like Stephen A. Smith. Don't follow clueless clowns like Deion Sanders and Rodney Harrison. Think for yourself. Realize that an actual highlight that was shown on NFL Network with a spot shadow on Tony Romo being tripped that maybe, just maybe, Tony Romo not being allowed to follow through on his throw was a difference of an interception on a great diving play by Danny Trevathan. Just maybe think about that. And when you do, you realize Tony Romo is probably the last man in week six to have a dunce cap. That's all for now.
1: Find out what stats and trends you can buy or sell as we delve into this week's Mathletics. Well,
0: now that we got that out of the way, we're going to quickly take a look at our Mathletics from week five, and we're going to focus on two things. First... A.J. Green and his regression. A lot of people are wondering if A.J. Green, if this is a decline we should seriously worry about. Only 31 receptions for 361 yards and 3 touchdowns through 5 games. Now, a few things here. The last two weeks you had Joe Hayden and Aqib Talib on you. That's a little bit tough. Week 2. You had the Pittsburgh Steelers. They usually play the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers well, and they've historically been one of the best teams in terms of real passing yards allowed per attempt. So uh, I would very much quell down the talk about A.J. Green being a fantasy disappointment or or this or that, but I do want to mention that there was also regression along the way for A.J. Green. You look at what he did in his second season, put over 90 receptions, over 1,200 receiving yards. Over 10 touchdowns. He was only, I believe, the eighth such player in NFL history to do that so early into his career. And, well, the first guys who did that ended up having some sort of regression. In fact, I want to actually look at the list here of the other guys who did that. 90, 1,200, and 10 For these guys. And see what happened moving forward for these guys. I mean, you had fantastic guys on the list. You have guys uh, who became all-time greats. But the question is, was it what A.J. Green did? And Well, I don't know. I mean, you look at it. There's guys like Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski who did it and Jimmy Graham had that regression last year. Rob Gronkowski had that regression last year. Injuries played a role. Marcus Colston did it back in 2007. You look back to his 2008 season for Marcus Colston, only six games started, 11 games played, under 50 receptions, under 800 yards. Larry Fitzgerald, did it in 2005, over 100 receptions, over 1400 yards in his second season. The next year, down to under 70 and under 1000. Under 10 touchdown receptions for Larry Fitzgerald that year. Chad Johnson, 2003, did it. The following year in 2004, was higher in receptions, lower in yards and touchdowns. So. Bottom line is what I'm saying is we might have a little bit too high of expectations here for AJ Green. Had a fantastic second season, one of the all time great seasons by a guy in his first three years. There's going to be the regression. It's natural. It's happening right now, in my opinion, because of opponent adjustments. Be careful. Before you start getting all crazy fantasy owners and you want to get rid of A.J. Green. The next one, the Atlanta Falcons. They're 1-4. Why? Because of regression to the mean. All five of their games so far have been one possession games. Last year, the Falcons were 7-2 in one possession games. Normally, you should be around 500 in close games. That's kind of the rule of thumb. I mean, after all... They're close games. These are games where neither team's really better than the other by a significant amount. Few plays here or there, whether it's by luck or fortitude or whatever, make the difference. But seven and two last year, now one and four this year. Even those two years out, eight and six, probably a little bit more of what you expect. So the Atlanta Falcons, I know it's tough for them. They're one and four. They just lost at home in back-to-back primetime games against AFC East teams. In fact, it's the first time ever Matt Ryan's lost back-to-back home games. This was my lock pick. This was this was the one I put in my eliminator pool, and it got blown up. I got the leg drop myself. But, the Falcons, I still think they can maybe just right the ship a little bit to get back into the playoff hunt, but they just better hope that they stop playing these close games. Assert their will a little bit. Blow out some teams, and you might be better. That closes out my mathletics for this week.
1: Get a taste of the CHFF Insider as Adam takes a look at this week's statistical big boards.
0: Now we look at the big board from week five. We're looking at four things that stand out to me. First things first, the Houston Texans. Five consecutive games now with a bendability under 12. We already beat this dead horse, but I just want to beat it a little bit more. Of the 152 performances, I move the... Carolina shut out the Giants, obviously up to number one. So you have the Houston Texans at performance number 125, 137, 143, 149, and 150 of 152 in bendability. It's going to get better for the Houston Texans. My question is, when? And my other question is, how much does that help this team? Because right now, they look like one of the dumbest teams ever in NFL history. And they need to fix it, 2-3, and three. already losses now, three in a row to Baltimore, Seattle, and San Francisco. You have the Rams this week, but you still have four games left against the Indianapolis Colts and Tennessee Titans. Those are teams that aren't going to kill themselves, so the Texans need to wake up really fast. Meanwhile, the Denver-Dallas shootout, some interesting facts here. The Cowboys, 11.75, real passing yards per attempt, the best this season. 140.05 offensive pass ring, the best in a loss this season. A 10.88 score ability, the best loss for a team that hasn't played Houston this year because obviously the Titans and Chargers let it get away in weeks one and two. The Cowboys... Also had a 101.73 offensive rush rating. The Broncos, how about this? 7th best real passing yards per attempt, 9.86. Offensive pass rating of 129.56. Offensive rush ring, 112.23. A 10.41 score ability, or 10.14, I should say. Just unbelievable offensive numbers by these two teams. It's one of the greatest shootouts of all time. But those defenses need to wake up. The Broncos came into Week 5 with the most passing plays allowed of 20 yards or more, I believe. So, there were some holes that Tony Romo could have exploited and he did just that. Next up, how about the New Orleans Saints? Could there be a sign of their passing defense finally starting to decline? Because, obviously, those four, first four weeks were fantastic for the Saints' top six and those past defensive indicators. But Rob Ryan, he hasn't had a track history of finishing strong over the years, especially recent years in Dallas. You, you speak about other people failing Tony Romo. Rob Ryan was one of those biggest failures for Tony Romo in recent years. How about this for the Chicago Bears in their 26-18 to loss? 9.44 real passing yards per attempt. That's 14th best so far. And it was actually the second best in a losing effort. Obviously, Dallas lost with the best of the season so far. But, again, the Bears 14th best performance in real passing yards per attempt. The 13 teams ahead of them averaged 37.8 points per game, and the Bears had just 18. In fact, the Chicago Bears also had a 128.09 offensive pass ring, second best in a loss, obviously, behind Dallas. The three teams to win last year, despite a 125, Defensive pass rating, the Vikings in Week 17, which was one of the best shootouts of the year against the Green Bay Packers to make the playoffs. The Houston Texans in Week 14, a real big loss uh, or win for them in terms of beating Jacksonville, but a big loss in terms of exposing the flaws in their pass defense. They eventually got crushed in the playoffs by New England. And then Miami against Seattle in Week 12, it was Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson, but the Seahawks not closing the deal On the road across country. So bottom line, I think you saw Denver-Dallas. That was a classic shootout. I see the Chicago-New Orleans game as perhaps a potential warning sign of what can happen to the Saints against elite passers in the playoffs. Keep a lookout for that game. Monitor what happens to the Saints passing defense because it could go downhill. We don't know just yet. And then finally, does Calvin Johnson mean that much to the Detroit Lions? A 22-3 loss against the Green Bay Packers and that pad passing defense, Detroit had just 4.93 real passing yards per attempt the previous four games. 8.30, 7.38, 8.79, 6.33. And by the way, the Lions were sacked five times despite allowing just three sacks the first four games. I know, it kind of goes against what we say here at Cold Hard Football Facts that one receiver is overvalued. The singular receivers... More or less just that, that flashy ornament you show and say, look how good it is. But Calvin Johnson not playing on Sunday seemed to have some big effect on the Detroit Lions. Maybe he's the exception that makes the rule. But anyway, that closes our big board from week five.
1: Which players or teams are striving as the season churns on? Let's find out with the six-pack of top performers for this week.
0: Continuing on with the show, we now take a look At our six-pack of top teams through five weeks is, well, I like to spit out the numbers. I also like to take them in, look at some of the key stats, and try to rank these teams as best as possible. Number six on my list, I have the New England Patriots. Now, a team that is dropping defensively and offensively is still struggling. And actually, if you look at it, the New England Patriots defeating two teams in the division— Buffalo in New York, defeating Tampa Bay, defeating Atlanta. Not exactly impressive wins just yet because of the Jets having an up-and-down offense. You don't know what to think about them just yet despite their impressive win in Atlanta. I look at this New England team, I still don't know what to think about them, but they are still... Right around uh, the playoff mark in terms of the quality stats, defensively speaking, they're still second in bendability, still sixth in defensive passer rating. This week will be the true test for the New England Patriots, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. But we move now to number five, the Seattle Seahawks. Number Five might seem a little bit low for this team. They just lost on the road by only six points to the Indianapolis Colts, but i got to put the Colts above them and the three undefeated teams. So I think fifth is just about the right spot for the Seahawks. They are still top ten in all traditional indicators, but real quarterback rating and the two sides of the Hog Index. Number four as mentioned, the Indianapolis Colts. They're the best offensive Hogs in the league. The best running game in terms of rusher rating. Top five in scoreability and bendability to be one of the smartest teams in the league, which we'll talk about just shortly uh, with the Intelligence Index. But then they're also fourth in real quarterback rating differential and fourth in pass rating differential. It's fitting that they're fourth on this list. Number three, we have the Kansas City Chiefs, your best defense in the league still. Tops and bendability, defensive real passing yards per attempt, defensive real quarterback rating, defensive pass rating. They're also second in defensive rush rating and fifth in the defensive hog index. Number two as we had last week, surprisingly then, not so much now. The New Orleans Saints, fresh off their victory in Chicago this past Sunday. We had it right here. We knew what the Saints were going to do. A lot of people picked the Bears, which surprised us. The Saints got the job done. They're second in real quarterback rating differential, second in pass rating differential and second in their relativity index. They're third in bendability meanwhile. A really good team, but not as good as your number one team, the Denver Broncos. Still number one in scoreability, real passing yards per attempt, real quarterback rating, offensive pass rating, the relativity index, real quarterback rating differential, and pass rating differential. And they get the job as well done with the Hogs. Second in offensive hog index, seventh in defensive hog index. And outside of the passing game allowing some big plays and chunks, uh, they've been able to do a good job overall to be dominant all
1: around. That concludes your six-pack of top teams. Now let's look ahead to see which teams are the best and worst bets for this upcoming week with a preview from the Intelligence Index. Well, now
0: it's time to look ahead. We have week six coming up, and we start things off with a preview from our Intelligence Index, and it is a powerful indicator that so far is 8-0 in in predicting games against the spread. It's some powerful stuff. You have to check it out on our Cold Hard Football Facts Insider. Once again, it's just $99 for the year. If you want to try it on a weekly basis, it's under $10. Think about that. You try it for one week, you put $10 in, you might be able to spit a lot of money back out. And uh, Just to preview it a little bit, three predictions for this upcoming week. Go check it out on the CHFF Insider. But we're going to preview without taking a look at predictions. Just want to look at maybe some of the intriguing games you might be thinking of. Maybe you're thinking, well, you know, there are some great games, but there might be some weak games as well. Denver at Jacksonville seems disgusting. St. Louis at Houston. Philadelphia at Tampa Bay. But there is actually one game between non-quality teams that Could be quite smart in a solid football game. How about Carolina at Minnesota? Both teams are actually in the positive, in the intelligence index. And this, yes, still comes with the stupid football the Carolina Panthers played. So while they're trending down and I worry about them, they go to Minnesota where the Vikings are having a little bit of a quarterback conundrum but still overall positive in the intelligence index. That could be a very solid game, especially uh, in terms of what goes around the quarterbacks. You might have two hard-nosed defenses battling it out in that game. Meanwhile, we look at some teams that might be on the rise, some teams that might be able to uh, get out of the doldrums, or some teams that might go into the top areas. How about trying to get out of the doldrums? You have Pittsburgh at New York. The turnovers Pittsburgh Steelers at the 27th-ranked New York Jets, they've been up, they've been down. The Jets moved up from 30th last week to 27th this week. Could they be on the rise? One of these two teams, I think, is going to boost up there. The Jets are still 4-1 against the spread, despite being 27th-ranked. So maybe they're the team that regresses in terms of the intelligence index then again, they could be the team that regresses in terms of going against the spread. Though I think your best bet for a team that will be on the rise is the Cincinnati Bengals. Right now, they're not smart. They're not dumb. They're 17th in the indicator, plus .65, but they're at Buffalo facing Thad Lewis. And this is not to pile on to Thad Lewis, who's, I believe, just making his second start as an NFL quarterback thing is you might be able to hold off Thad Lewis if you did that to Aaron Rodgers and did that to Tom Brady. I mean you just allowed six points and broke a touchdown streak for Tom Brady then two weeks before you gave Aaron Rodgers his first multi-interception game in basically the same span or similar span as Tom Brady's touchdown streak. So the Bengals put together those performances. They've been up and down this season. Losses, At Chicago and at Cleveland, they have wins at home against Pittsburgh, Green Bay, and New England. They're at Buffalo, where they traditionally don't play well. The Bengals have struggled over the years against the Bills, to say the least. But with Thad Lewis under center for the Bills, that might be a game that the Bengals allow single-digit points, improve their bendability, and get a little bit smarter in the Intelligence Index. But, of course, we have to look at the best games. And... These are your two games to look out for. If you want smart, hard-nosed football, it is, yes, the New Orleans Saints at the New England Patriots with two great offensive minds and Brady and Breeze. They're going to be smart with the ball, but the defenses are getting the job done as well. We already mentioned with uh, those two teams in our top six. But how about Tennessee at Seattle? Tennessee, more than uh, three yards in terms of advantage of uh, yards per point. Seattle greater than five. That's going to be in Seattle. It's going to be two hard-nosed defenses gritting it out. And that concludes your Intelligence Index preview for week six.
1: Let's wrap the program with what's best for the week ahead. It's the six-pack of top games for this coming week. Well, let's close
0: out the show. We have our six-pack of top games for Week 6, and we'll begin things off kind of how we began the show, the Dallas Cowboys, as they host the Washington Redskins Sunday night football, and this is a chance for Tony Romo to stick it to the nation, or this is the time where things continue where they left off between these two teams. The Redskins got the sweep last year, took Dallas out at home Week 17. Tony Romo had... Three interceptions, people remember the last one. The first two were bigger in terms of speaking to his career issues. That's a slow first quarter for Tony Romo. But the Cowboys have four first quarter touchdowns so far this season in five games. Perhaps Tony Romo's turned the corner that way. Well, you have 13 touchdowns and only two interceptions for him. Here's a chance to dominate the Washington Redskins at home and try to keep up with the Eagles because the Eagles – Well, their first five opponents will be five opponents the Cowboys have played through six weeks. The Eagles went two and three, obviously. Uh, The Cowboys at one and three so far in those five common opponents they need to win. Against the Washington Redskins. Number five, Indianapolis at San Diego. This is a Monday night football battle, and this could be a great battle between offense and defense. San Diego, top three in our passing offensive quality stats. Indianapolis on the other side, they're fourth in defensive real quarterback rating, fourth in defensive passer rating. And then, of course, you have Andrew Luck and the Colts fresh off that big win at home against Seattle. They go on the road. Could be interesting to see if uh, this might be a trap game or a letdown game for the culture if they go to five and one and are in the hunt for one of the top two or three spots in the AFC. Number four, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Detroit at Cleveland. Yes, this is one of my top six games because both of these teams are in the top 16. They're both three and two, and you have a great matchup. Cleveland, top six in all-passing defensive quality stats. Detroit, top ten in all-passing offensive quality stats, despite the dud that they just laid against the lowly Green Bay Packers pass defense without Calvin Johnson. If he comes back for this upcoming Sunday, it'll be Calvin Johnson likely going up against Joe Hayden, one of the potential elite quarterbacks in the next few years. So uh, that cornerback that and Joe Hayden doing a great job. I love that matchup. I actually like this game. And that makes the top six. Unbelievable. Number three, you have the Green Bay Packers at the Baltimore Ravens. Up and down for these two teams, but they're still two teams in the top 15. And the Ravens have a defensive pass rating under 70 since that debacle against Peyton Manning and Crew week one. Well, now they go up again against an elite quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. Are they going to be more like they were against Manning or more like the team that has one of the best passing defenses since then? By the way, the Ravens are number one in the defensive hogs and that could be the difference at home as Green Bay have both their losses against balanced teams on the road, San Francisco and Cincinnati. Number two and number one are already matchups we mentioned. Number two, Tennessee at Seattle. Two smart and tough defenses. And oh yeah, by the way, the only matchup between two top six teams by our Quality Stats Power Rankings. And then number one, New Orleans at New England. This is the only top six matchup by my Power rankings uh, very much coincides uh, quite similarly with uh, the quality stats, power rankings. So you look at those top two matchups, you really don't have much wrong to go with. The difference why New Orleans and New England is higher? Well, you have better quarterback play, Breeze against Brady. The other one's Fitzpatrick against Wilson. And then the other one is the, the obvious home advantage for Seattle makes it tougher for a slightly inferior Titans team on the road. New Orleans, the better team right now, they're in Foxborough when the nation will be watching. So that makes number one on my list. That just about does it for this show. A lot of anger released here on this show. And let's please be sensible about our quarterbacks here. Let's not go to anybody's home and... Try to trash the place because we don't like the way the quarterback is playing. I'm talking about you, Houston Texans fans, my last dunce cap of the week. But we're going to have fun with this week six. And until next time, enjoy your week of pigskin, everybody.